Craft Beer Professionals is a national network of nearly 15,000 dedicated to the growth and betterment of the craft beer industry. CBP is excited to bring our virtual community together for in-person events in 2022. CBP Connects presented by Arrive POS are workshops designed to help you grow both personally and professionally. In addition to leaving with actionable strategies, CBP Connect is an opportunity to network and learn from your fellow craft beer professionals, complete with nightly receptions and drinks on CBP. We would love for you to join us June 20th to 22nd, 2022 in St. Louis, Missouri, and or in Norfolk, Virginia, September 12th to 14th. You can learn more and claim your spot at cbpconnects.com. That's cbpconnects.com. See you there. Cheers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the final panel of Panel Fest. If you've been sitting in your computer for two days straight, I give you a ton of credit. There's a lot of great speakers today, and thank you to everyone who shared their insight, and thank you to everybody for tuning in and all of your support. All the conversations we've had at Panel Fest are uniquely important topics that can help our industry grow. I hope you had that one takeaway that will make your life or business better in some way, and a huge thanks to Precision Fermentation for all your support on this event. And to all of you out there in the virtual world, I invite you to join us in person in 2022 for CBP Connects. CBP Connects presented by Arrive POS are in-person workshops with a focus on education and networking. They're your opportunity to meet your fellow members face-to-face -face in an intimate setting. And I hope to see all of you February 7th, 8th, and 9th, 2022, that's unbelievable to say, in Norfolk, Virginia. You can view the complete schedule at cbpconnects.com. And now on to today's conversation. We're gonna be diving into why our four guests decided to open additional locations and discuss aspects to consider when planning an expansion, challenges they face and strategies for success while growing via the taproom model. And normally I go in order. So David Rings, you would be next, but today I'm gonna to go a little out of order because Carrie, you and I, you know, we started talking online. We were roommates in Denver and you'll actually be speaking at the event in February. So I'm calling you out first to tell everybody a little bit about yourself and why you're here today. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me and welcome everybody who's watching. Uh, so my name is Carrie Shumway. I'm a CPA, CFO, uh, currently a CFO for Wormtown Brewery in Worcester, Massachusetts. And I started uh, forgetting things about 10 years ago. So I started writing things down. I'm a manic uh, note taker. So what I started to do was like when I would learn stuff about the brewery, about finance, operations, sales, what have you, I'd kind of write it out. And so over time, I turned all of those notes into an online business, craftbrewerryfinancialtraining.com, where I basically kind of share what I've learned over the years in terms of how to create a financial plan, do your pro forma, do your business plan, uh, things of that nature, how to cost your beer, price your beer, work with distributors, all the stuff I've kind of been doing over the last 25 years or so. So that's, uh, that's a little bit about me. Excited to be here. And I know I tell you every time we see you on one of these, I love how approachable you make numbers. You make numbers fun, and that's the way it should be. Yeah, and we joke because my, you know, the, the official name of my business is Numbers Are Friends LLC, because it's, they are our friends. It sounds like a Sesame Street episode. Sean, had your kid watched that one before? Uh, yeah, it, I'm definitely the math guy of the household, and I think my kid's picking up on it. So my poor wife, she. She's going to be the outcast uh, in the group when it comes to that. So, yeah, I'm sure he'll watch. He would watch the heck out of that one. All right. 
Well, well, Sean, when you were not watching me in Sesame Street with your little one, what, what do you do in the beer world? Um, so I'm the uh, owner and CEO over at Pontoon Brewing here in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, we're technically Sandy Springs. If, you know, Atlanta people heard that, they'd be like, that's not Atlanta. But no one else knows where Sandy Springs is. It's a northern suburb in Atlanta. So, um, yeah. And so we've been open. Our fourth anniversary is coming up uh, in February. And so we will brick and mortar for four years, contract brewed uh, three years before that. Um, and we are opening our second location. Uh, we just uh, 14, 15 months of closing uh, our loan uh, because of uh, COVID. So um, I feel like I could bring a bunch of fun stuff. I, I'm going to say fun uh, stuff uh, about uh, us opening up our second facility. Um, so we're opening up our production facility uh, and it will also accompany uh, a tap room, a small eating space. Um, so, yeah. I'm excited to hear the lessons learned so far. In Rings, you know, we met in Denver, which was a pleasure. And Finally. you haven't opened your second location yet. So I'm really excited to have you and Sean's input on the journey so far. But tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do. Uh, I'm with uh, Cedar Springs Brewing Company. And we um, we started eight years ago, I believe. I actually was in the industry back in the late 90s. I worked for three different breweries back then. And I got out. Actually, Carrie, it's nice to see you because I, uh, I, I get your email newsletters. But um, I got out and wore a suit and tie for 15 years in the financial world and then come to my senses. And that was, you know, the college degree you had to use. So I sold and I sold my business and jumped feet first back into this. And I'm a weirdo because I make old beer. I don't make any of this, any, any new stuff, no sours, no hazies, unless you count vice beer as a hazy. We do old school German beer. So, uh, which is really odd nowadays in the, in the, uh, in the craft world, but, uh, we had a tap. We had a. Uh, we opened our tap room six years ago, and we had a, a second tap room scheduled to open eighteen months ago. Uh, hashtag COVID, um, and we shuffled a few things around. We ended up purchasing the space that we originally were, were going to lease, um, and uh, went through the whole bank refinance thing uh, that uh, Sean's talking about as well. And um, so we are scheduled to open in January now. At this point, so. And I'm enjoying following all your pictures you're putting out on social media. It's been cool to see the journey happen. It's 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 been an adventure, and nothing in this uh, nothing in this craft world is a straight line, is it? No, John. Last but not least, with Warpwing, tell everybody a little about who you are and what you do. Uh, sure. So uh, my name is John Haggerty with Warpwing Brewing Company. I am one of the two managing members here. Uh, we don't have super fancy titles like CFO. And CEO and that sort of thing, <laughs> but uh, I help run the company. My my personal background is in the brewery. I've been working in or running or managing breweries since '93, um, and so when we started this, that was really my role was to run the production company. There was there was four of us to start with. There's now two of us, as I mentioned. So I've had to take on some other responsibilities here as well. So. I, I directly supervise the management of all our retail spaces too, of which we're about to open the third place here any week. Um, and oversee, you know, the production of all our beer. And then my partner, Nick, does all the sales and marketing, uh, works a little bit with the finance team. And then one of our investors, uh, Larry Westbrook, uh, he really heads up the finance team 
Um, that's his specialty, and thank God, because if it were up to me, we'd probably be broke. So uh, Larry helps keep me on the rails, so that's good. Well, a pleasure to have you here today. And John, you alluded to like all the responsibilities you have at the brewery. You know, you have all these different hats that you wear. So why on earth did you even decide to open a second location back then? Well, you know, I think that um, there's a lot of reasons uh, to do anything. And of course, you know, I, I don't want to sound, uh, you know, I love beer. I, I do this because I love beer. Right. If I didn't love beer, I would, I'd be doing something else. But I want to make money. Right. And You're running a business. this is a business. And so we're, we're trying to be a profitable company. There's many different ways to deliver your beer into the hand of your consumer. Um, but the one that you control the most, of course, is your own taproom. And so um, there's a lot of lot of positives around that. The margins are a little better the ability to control the product from start to finish is is easier um you control the message that's being told about your brand um and so it just it just made sense you know when we got down to it particularly with what's going on in the in the wider beer market uh as i'm sure all of my partners here on the panel will attest you know the wholesale beer market's been been flat or in decline uh for a few years now starting in about late 2018 so it was an opportunity for us to grow, uh, not only fin financially, but also in terms of getting the Warped Wing message out to the consumer and continuing uh, to maintain our production levels and so on and so forth. So all of those things kind of went into that decision. Um, and then it was a matter of finding you know, the right opportunity in, in what made good business sense and you know in terms of where to locate it and so forth and you mentioned your your finance guy was it john westbrook was that his name larry yeah larry westbrook not another john what was larry part of the initial team when you first launched warp ring or did he come on to help out with future locations no he came along later there were two other gentlemen that were that were part of uh that team when we started um you know they both did good work for us um but at a particular point in our life cycle, you know, what what we all wanted from the company was not the same. And so it just made sense to to create some separations. And and those it didn't happen two and two. You know, it was it was four of us and then one guy left, then there was three of us, and then the next guy left. And now it's uh now it's Nick and I as the managing members. Yep. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing all that, John. Yeah. Now, Carrie, how about you? You know, you've got a few locations. You know, how did that even come to be? Was it a conversation around beers one night? I was like, hey, we need more of these. And, you know, we've got popped a few talk rooms and, you know, different locations or, you know, what was the beginning of that conversation when you even thought about expansion? We started, we had a really small uh, tap room in Worcester, right on Shrewsbury Street, if anyone's familiar with that restaurant row, which you know, the model was come in, have a beer or two, and then you go out to dinner somewhere else. Um, and that was fine, but it was very limited. I mean, the size was a limiting factor. You could only get so many people in. We had a patio, but it really wasn't winterized. So it was kind of like a two and a half season, uh, as New England is. Um, and honestly, an opportunity came up to open a second tap room uh, at Patriot Place near Gillette Stadium, which is where the Patriots play. So you have the Patriots. 
you have the New England Revolution soccer team. You've got concerts. Uh, Patriot Place, if anyone's familiar, not familiar with it, is like a huge outdoor shopping mall. It's just a beautiful. Uh, so anyway, a, a brewery was exiting there. We had the opportunity to come in and take over the lease. Um, and uh, we did all the number crunching. And the end result was kind of it's it's kind of a beautiful thing. There's so many people. I forget the exact numbers, but I want to say it's some absurd number, like two million people a year roll through Patriot Place. So kind of like as John was saying, you know, you 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 get larger exposure. So if you plant flags in different markets, geographic locations, not only are you capturing sort of that taproom profit, um, but you're expanding the number of eyes that that learn about your brands. And we also said, well, this is an opportunity to have um, a pilot brew system. Our main brewery has a 30 barrel. We, you know, it's hard to do. So we did a, we did a seven barrel and we're crank. And the other cool thing is we can do partnerships with some of the visiting uh, football teams. So Arizona rolls in, you, know, you work with a brewery in Arizona and you, and you do a collab brew for when the, you know, Arizona Cardinals come to town, for example, and um, you can't pull that off every time, but so that was that was the impetus for it. The opportunity presented itself. We all, all me and my partners, love sports, went crazy for it. So it was just like, all right, let's do it, and it's uh, it's been great. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Carrie. Now, Rings and Sean, your second locations aren't open just yet, but you know what was the process like when you decided you wanted to expand? Yeah. Um, so I mean, we hit our we hit capacity. So we we opened up Pontoon originally. Um, new is kind of a destination, right? It's not, it's not like off, it's not on a beaded, beaded path or it's not on a like accessible path. You know, it's, it's off of a decent, uh, road. I, I sat in and did, uh, uh, it was one of the only places that we looked at that didn't have a traffic count. So I actually sat out there with like a lawn chair for a couple days and just like, um, sat there and it seemed like there was a ton of traffic on there but it's a lot of businesses in the area. So, um, you know, and, and apartment complexes. So we didn't get as much of the draw from the local community as we thought. So we kind of became a destination brewery and there's not a lot of food near us. Um, and so, you know, we, we've been kind of leaning harder into the distribution model. Um, you know, like our first year we hit like 2,200 barrels. The second year we were at, you know, almost four this year or last year we were at um, a little over six and then, this year we're hit, you know, be around seven. And so, you know, distribution's been fairly nice where we just distribute multiple States, but uh, I forget, I think it was, I think it was John that said this, but uh, someone on the, on the panel said that, you know, it's a way that you can control your, uh, the most, the most aspects of your beer, um, you know, better margins, better customer interfacing, uh, you're able to control, you know, what the customer sees, tastes, uh, perceives. Um, and so with the current climate, we're like, we really need to expand for distribution purposes. We hit capacity in February 2020 uh, and been contract brewing, uh, which is not my favorite. And uh, we we're like, you know, we're just going to open up a production facility. And for a, a short amount of time, we actually thought about not opening a tap room in that spot, just focusing on production and that's such a silly thing to do considering <clears throat> the revenue that a tap room generates and something else that John said was, you know, kind of a new area. Um, you know, it's only 12 miles away from our current facility, but in Atlanta, that's 45 minutes because everywhere you go in Atlanta is at least 30 minutes, even if it's a mile down the road. 
Um, and so it's a whole new area, a whole new demographic, a whole new customer base that we can grow. And you could go to the Tucker location or the Sandy Springs location. There's, there's a chance you may not know about the other one, uh, just with how like, you know, large Atlanta is. And so it just, it made sense to open up another facility. Um, it gives us a little bit more free range on what kind of styles we can do, separating out the facilities, you know, having some specialties in one area, like we're, you know, barrel aging, a logger focusing on one area. And then the other ones, all the crazy shit that we do stuff we do. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that, that was, it, it made sense to, to open up a second tap room. Um, I don't know why we, we even thought about not doing that. So when you first decided to do it, what was the first step you took to actually go in that direction? Um, a lot of like demographic and, and just researching different areas, areas that didn't have a ton of breweries or kind of, you know, were on up and up as far as like developments going in, housing going in. Um, you know, we, we picked Tucker because Tucker was voted the number one um, up and coming suburb of Atlanta. Um, there just happened to be the building that we liked the most. And there was a development going in a mile down the road. So it's like all these different factors came in. And we're hoping that this could be more of a foot traffic centered um, space, even though it's our production facility, uh, which would be funny if it ends up having a higher traffic rate than our current one. Are there any other breweries in that general vicinity? There are, which is great. We were the first brewery in Sandy Springs. Um, we actually helped write the laws uh, with the their city uh, attorney. Um, and there have been, there's one brewery coming in now, but it's, pretty far down the road. Whereas in this area, there's a brewery 0.6 miles away. There's a brewery one and a half miles away. And then there's one like four miles away. And I look at that as good. Um, I, you know, I want more breweries in the area because people generally hop around. Yeah. That's um, been our experience too, Sean. I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some benefits to some synergy with multiple breweries within a walk or a short drive. Absolutely. And it's a very collaborative industry too. So, I mean, we all kind of prop each other up and plan releases out. I mean, I do that with breweries that are three miles away from us at our current spot. Um, and and it's, it's definitely one of my favorite parts of the brewing industry is how collaborative and how much as biz, competing businesses work together in here, which is and really We do cool. a lot of collaborations. You know, it's fun following you and your <laughs> travels and the people you're brewing with. So great work on that. Yeah, appreciate it. No rings, you're up. You know, you're opening your new location. Literally, what about a month, month and a half? Yeah, we're targeted in January. You know, and it's been interesting to hear a lot of the of the, the other comments here because there's I think there's bits and pieces of all of this. I mean, when we opened originally, we're in a we're in a small town of 3,500 people, and we're just we're north of Grand Rapids, so that's kind of our metropolitan area. And you know, our original uh, game plan, obviously focusing in a particular style range of, of, of product um, was always to distribute. We had before COVID probably eh, 60, 80 or so um, accounts out there that were um, that were serving us primarily up and down Western uh, Western Michigan. Um, you know, but I think a couple things have happened uh, in the big picture. We have wholesale wholesaler con consolidation. That's uh, in fact, a, a, a large player, a large multi-state player just came into Michigan. Um, you know, distribution is a volume game, period. I mean, you've got to be, you've got to do significant volume really to make that uh, a profitable uh, deal. And with uh, a supplier consolidation, wholesaler consolidation, that's going to be a tougher and tougher and tougher game 
and we were really doing a lot of analysis as we uh, as we came into the this plan to move forward with another tap room uh, on which path to take. We have uh, we have an option on a, on, a, on a six acre parcel to build a production facility that's really right around the corner from us. Um, and we started doing the math on, you know, the investment that it was going to take to support your brand and uh, what it was going to take in terms of volume um, versus the alternative. And, uh, you know, I, it's not rocket science, Carrie will tell you to, uh, to, you know, start doing the math and figure out, um, you know, uh, distribution again as a volume game um, uh, on, on premises a, is a margin game. And, um, you know, this industry is traditionally measured in volume, but that really isn't the measurement that you, you want to be looking at. There's a lot of breweries out there that are throwing a lot of product in the effort out in the, to the wall in an effort to grow. And I'm not sure that it's very profitable in what they're actually doing. In fact, I would argue a lot of the smaller and medium sized folks that are throwing product into distribution and in package are probably not making any money at it. Um, so a lot of these things kind of added up and, um, you know, we actually had originally planned to open two uh, locations at, uh, at, the t at last year when we were, or two years ago when we started this process. And again, with the, the COVID situation, we, we dropped one of them to focus on the other. Um, but this is going to be different for us too. We've been, we've driven everything. And Andrew, you kind of mentioned our social media and some of our, our, our grassroots marketing. We've had to work very, very hard to get people to make a 15, 20 minute or more drive. Uh, and those are the people who are close. Um, and really we, we draw from an hour radius uh, for what, what we do um, in this little tiny town. We were the first new construction in this town in, in 40 years. Um, to downtown where we are now, Sean kind of mentioned, but we've got five breweries that are right up and down a four block radius. Um, so there's walking and foot traffic there, which is something we've never had. Um, and there's a lot of pent up demand because, as I mentioned, we've, you know, uh, A, we weren't distributing a ton. And then B, uh, we pulled back completely on COVID. We have six core accounts. And really, those core accounts are, are advertisements for us to bring people up here. We're not making money doing it. We're, we're doing it so that people are aware of our brand and, and make, the, make the drive up uh, to, you know, to come see us in our small little town of Cedar Springs. Um, so this is unusual and it's a way for us to serve the pent up demand in an area that we, in a, in a, in a, in a physical location that we can control the product. We can control the message. Uh, people mispronounce our beers all the time. Uh, a lot of stuff has German names and, um, you know, so it's a way for us to really get the message and touch people and really to go back and it hags and hags and I've known each other a long time. But, uh, you know, from when I got it, when I was in the industry back in the 90s uh, prior, and that's the way it really was. It was a one on one game. You were talking to people one on one that would walk in with wide eyes and order a Bud Light. And uh, they're like, oh, you you make beer here. Um, and, and I think us. Well, we've gotten used to this, that everybody knows what craft is. Everybody knows what an IPA is. And I think a lot of craft brewers have gotten away from that personal touch of, 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 of explaining and telling the message and telling the story on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And a tap room gives you the ability to do it. We've spent a lot of time, and Andrew, we've actually used you guys for your secret shopper because we spent a lot of time and energy um, uh, you know, over the six years of our tap room with, with our servers meeting every month and doing training to to tell that message and to be able to explain the story, even if they're not beer experts, they can intelligently answer or know where to get the answer um, because it really is a people business. It is, um, it is uh, you are touching people and you are giving people a new experience that they've never have and never had. And if you can hook them with that, you've got them hooked. Yeah. It's um, all about that experience. You all know I'm passionate about that. 
Now, John and Carrie, because you do have those second and multiple locations open right now, I'd love to hear, you know, how you make sure your staff is providing that ultimate experience at each location. You know, as you expand, you can't be everywhere at once. You know, how do you maintain the same consistency of experience? Carrie, you want to go first? Or you want me no, to? You, you go ahead. Uh, well, for one of the things that we have done in the past is uh, require the, the front of the house staff to take um, the, the Cicerone service exam, the, the base level, just because it gives um, the staff a basis from which to ask their own questions, right? Uh, that level isn't going to make them a beer expert per se, but it gives them enough knowledge that then they'll come and ask me or they ask someone else in the company, well, what is this? Or you know, just so they know how to formulate a question, because for someone that doesn't know anything about beer, that can be a hard thing to do. Um, so we do that. Um, and really, at the end of the day, I, I don't, I am not as concerned about whether the server or the bartender knows every last thing there is to know about beer. It's just, it, it frankly, it isn't as important as you might think it is. What's most important is that they have a smile on their face, they're engaging with the customer and they make the person feel like they're welcome. You know, people are gonna throw questions at them that they don't know the answer to. And I tell them all right out of the gate, look, if you don't know the answer, don't just make it up. Because somebody is sitting on the other side of the bar, they're probably asking you the question, they already know the answer, and they're just <laughs> testing you, right? And you're gonna look like a bigger idiot if you try to make it up. So don't do that, right? Just tell them you don't know, and you know, you'll go ask somebody that does, or get their email and, you know, We'll email them the answer when you find it or, you know, whatever it is. So really, uh, we put less emphasis on the beer training side. Now that we don't put any, we do put some. Uh, what we're mostly trying to do, though, is make sure that the staff is engaging. Because when you get to the tap room, you know, we're really competing against other bars and restaurants for that person to sit down in our place versus sit down someplace else and i have to make sure that, that service is spot on right and that that server seems happy being at work because really what we're doing every day is we're throwing a party right and you're deciding to come to our party or not right and you want to have fun you don't want to come in here and hear about my problems right i'm supposed to be here to hear about yours right and try to help you forget them so that's that's the first thing that we're trying to do and that's where most of the emphasis is and then as time goes along we try to backfill that with with whatever degree of knowledge that we can provide them on on beer um so i don't know i don't know if that answers the question or not i do need to pause here real quick before carrie gives you his two cents give a shout out to my friend chris nordoff who's throwing stuff up on the comments i know he's a friend of dave's too uh so I've been texting him because we can't yeah, respond we to the comments. Yeah, exactly. I've been doing the same thing. So, Chris, here's to you, brother. Thanks for listening. Well, let's go to Chris's question right now. That's great timing. I was going to hit it shortly. Now, Chris asked how much of you know adding that second location, third location, whatever you have it, is outgrowing your current space or trying to expand market? And I think all of you kind of gave unique reasons why you chose to grow. But looking at those options, you know, how much was because you outgrew your current space or simply trying to expand those markets? Yes. Well, yeah, go ahead. 
No, I answered. That was it. Yeah, I think this can be a rapid fire round. So a little of both from rings. Um, Tom, how about you? I think it, it depends, and it's it's different for it's going to probably be different for every one of us. Um, so, like for us right now, we're coming up against some some space issues in our original site because that's where our production plant is, and so there's some things happening there that we need to address, and and we'll see what the outcome on that is. Um, I think in, in terms of our second site, you know, that was an opportunity for us to go to a new location. Not that people in, in Springboro, the main plants in Dayton, uh, the, the new location with our pilot system and so forth is in Springboro, which is a suburbs about halfway between Dayton and Cincy. So people in Springboro were aware of our brand. It wasn't like they weren't aware of our brand, but it gave us an ability to, to speak directly to them, A, and then B, it put us that much closer to an even larger market in Cincinnati. And, and our third place now is going to be in Mason. And so that does that even more. Mason is, is in clo or a closer suburb to Cincinnati than Springboro. Even. So we're starting to, you know, build this little bridge down to this major metropolitan area um, in Cincy. And I think that, that that does us well because it not only helps us in terms of our retail business it helps us in terms of our wholesale business because it just raises our profile yeah you've mentioned visibility quite a few times and i love that no carrie we'll, we'll jump back into you because you know you've grown quite a bit and you're passionate about having that experience but how do you make sure your staff is able to tell the story the same way and engage the same way at each of the tap rooms yeah it is tough i mean we so structurally we just have the usual we have taproom manager at each location so they're you know responsible for making sure you know the lights are on the beers flowing uh customer service is a priority and then we have a, a hospitality manager that oversees all the locations and tries to bring some consistency relative to that training um so there's that and then i i would echo i think you know what you and i talk a lot about is using sort of data to make decisions and I think the secret hopper model where you're getting feedback directly from customers on very specific data points, you know, me as an analytical guy, you know, customer service, how do you really measure, you know, this customer had a great time, this customer was okay. You know, you're all over the place, but if you have actual data uh, that says, what can we do? What can our staff do? And how do we define like what a good customer experience is? And, and we kind of modeled it a lot in what you're, questions would be, which is, you know, when the customer walks in, do you greet the customer? Yes or no. It's not like subjective. You either did or you didn't. The customer says you did. Or you didn't. So we define that that way. Did you suggest that they have a flight? You either did or you didn't. Uh, you know, do you ask them what kind of beer they like? Do you guide them through the process? Uh, so it's almost like a checklist in some regards. And then, of course, I have my uh, my standard add-on. It's like, did you ask, did you do the upsell? Did you ask him for to-go beer? You did or you didn't? Because I could see it in the cash register. Um, so that's really it. It's about structure, it's personnel. You know, and we're really lucky. We have really great people, you know, that really love to work at a brewery. They're still out there. Um, you know, it used to be easy, right? People love to work at a brewery. It's just a brewery. You don't even have to pay me. I just, and now you do, you have to pay them. Um, but we're really fortunate. We're really just great people. So it's kind of a combination of those things. No, I love to focus on quality of experience. And Carrie, you, you mentioned you have taproom managers at each location. And John, I'd love to hear your feedback on this. And Brings and Sean, I'd love to hear what you're planning to do. Because as you grow, 
you know, you need more people on your team. You can't do everything yourself with people you have. They can only do but so much. You know, how have you added to your management and leadership teams, you know, as you've expand or plan to expand? And at this point, anyone just jump in. It's a free for all. Yeah. Well, I'll just I'll echo what Carrie said. I mean, we have a, it sounds like we have a similar setup. We have two people uh, which, you know, in-house, we call them our general manager and our beverage manager. Uh, Aaron, who we hired as our general manager, we hired him primarily because of his background in the kitchen uh, and his ability to run food. And so sort of the, the unofficial way that it works is that Aaron really supervises all the food service and getting the kitchen and, and that side of it set up. And Jason manages the bar and, and the table service and gets that side of it set up. And they oversee, you know, all the places. And then we have also kitchen manager and bar manager on site at each location as well. So there's a there's a common theme, common message being put into each place that they're responsible for for overseeing when you had just one location did you feel this structured uh no i mean we kind of we we were kind of that way we but we had really we had the bar manager and we had a kitchen manager and there wasn't really anything over that and as we were starting to walk into this this bigger you know view of the of the retail world you know, first we started with Aaron as the general manager, had him in, had him starting to make sure we had everything in the original space tight and how we needed it to be so that we could then step out and go to the next location um, and make sure we get that one set up and, and so on and so forth. And so, and of course, within that, there, there's a certain amount of turmoil, right? Because as we all know from our working careers, change begets angst within any any group of human beings and so you know some people you know they fall off because they don't like the the new structure and you know of course other people it appeals to them very well and so they come in and so there's going to be a certain amount of that uh whenever you have this stuff just because that's what change does um and it's okay right that's an okay thing to have happen i mean i'd rather have someone tell me hey look I prefer a smaller organization than a bigger one. So I'm going to go work for a smaller one. Great. I, I doesn't hurt my feelings. That's okay. Well, you kind of touched a little bit here, Andrew, on I think you know one of the challenges is an old truism in, in restaurants that you can have uh, one restaurant or you can have three or more, but you can't have two. Um, because there is challenges there in trying to put that extra level of, of you could call it bureaucracy, but of, of organization in there and structure so that you can track. I mean, obviously, when you have more, when you have, you get to a certain number of people and you can't know everybody personally the way that you knew your original crew. So there has to be organizations there and there has to be a way to follow up and hold, um, you know, hold people accountable, et cetera. So, you know, that is that is one of the challenges. And Sean, you guys are probably facing the same thing here as you get into the second thing. Um, but it's, it, you know, it's really hard with two. Now, in our case, we have a full restaurant. We're a distillery and a winemaker as well. And we have a full restaurant at our in our small town location. And the one um, the one that we're putting in town is, is smaller. It's about half the size and uh, it's a smaller brewery um, and it's not a full restaurant. We just have really a deli in there, uh, more of a grab and go. So we don't need necessarily the same management team that we have in the home um, 
And part of it really is even looking in the crystal ball when as you know, $15 comes around everywhere that we can run this with few, with less labor, trying to make it more efficient that everybody who is there makes a lot more money. We can put, uh, that we can maintain the benefit structures that we have in place um, and make it a rewarding place. We still have originals at our, at our main location and the vast majority of our, our staff has been here three or more years. Um, so we want to maintain that culture, you know, as we, and that is a challenge as you, as you open up another place when, like I said, you can't actually know everybody and can't have the same personal relationship with more people that you did, um, you know, in your original group who have been, who have been to the front lines with you. So, but that comes hand in hand with making the decision to grow. You, you know, as you grow, you're not going, you're dying, you know, so that, that's, that's, <laughs> and it's the challenge of staying authentic into your roots, you know, as you expand and that's hard to do. And, you know, you might not know how to do it when you decide to grow, but you're going to have to figure it out along the way. I think that's been one of the hardest parts for like me personally. Uh, I am a bit of a gab. Uh, you can't shut me up most times. Um, I love going out and meeting customers. Uh, beer festivals are in collaborations with some of my favorite things because you just get to do what you love at that point. You know, at this point in my career, I am doing a lot more administrative things than I really wanted to. I got out of the sports industry to do more brewing related things. But at this point, it's 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 a necessary evil. And and, and I, you know, am, am fine with what I'm doing now. But that part is specifically with as we grow, I think we're at 34 employees now and it's really difficult. Um, you know, we do employee satisfaction surveys, send those out. And I think it was year two or year three, I got a couple back that were, you know, really upset that I didn't have a personal relationship with them as much as they wanted. And I agree I, it, that that's something that I want to as well. But I only have so many hours in the day. And that was right around when my child was my first child was born, too. So it's like I am dividing time as much as I can. And, you know, the, the first year uh, of having a kid and really like expanding, um, you know, I worked way too hard to try and make something work that ultimately is not even a good use of my time. Uh, and I feel bad saying that, but at the same time, what it does and what, what, what I've gotten around to and I feel good about is this gives me an opportunity to bring up people who are passionate that want to drive and find something in their career to make you know that's their stamp on 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 their resume that that shows what they can do and so it's turned into you know i, I joke that when i first opened up i was like god i wish i could clone myself eight times i don't feel that way at all anymore not at all i think if i clone myself eight times i've been already i've been i'd be already out of business um you know the people that we brought on are awesome and they do a great job and they are so much better in the areas that they came in and had the experiences or the education for that role. And so what we've, you know, with our second location opening up, you know, we, um, we are at the point where, you know, I like, we're going to have two tap rooms. Uh, we have a large tap room at our current spot, uh, about a little under 6,000 square feet, which is pretty daunting uh, for opening and closing and, you know, making sure that there's enough of a presence. Um, so that's been difficult to manage. Um, and with our current, our new facility opening up, 
it's 3,000 square feet, but it's also two story. Um, and so, you know, the, the upper areas are kind of more of a overflow game area, you know, private event stuff, but still, um, you know, we have, well, you know, we have two tapper managers at our current spot and we're going to have to grow that at least by two. You know, I've talked about having a tapper manager and assistant tapper manager at both locations and having a GM that brings all that together to kind of create that synergy and that ideal message. And before that would have been me, but like I said, you know, my time's better use, uh, you know, better useful looking at data uh, like Carrie. I'm a data guy. That's my background um, is, you know, financial analysis and statistics. And, um, and so, you know, oftentimes I get roped into things that uh, I want to help with and I, I, I want to give that to my staff, but reality I'm, I'm taking away from the greater area that I can give back. Um, and so it has been promotion within, it has been raising people up. I'm going to throw out a figure there that might make the rest of the panelists cringe, but 60% of our operating costs are staff related. Um, we have a very robust staff um, and I like to pay well. Um, and it's been difficult, but it's allowed us to expand really quickly um, and keep uh, you know, our attention high. Um, like during the pandemic, we started paying all the premiums for our staff for, for um, you know, for benefits. And that sucks. That's a hundred grand uh, that I lose. Um, so, you know, I'm obviously a proponent of uh, universal health care, but, uh, but, you know, it, it's one less thing that they had to worry about. And it helped our retention. It helped our employees be more present when they're here, which is helping with onboarding and training and, you know, conveying that message. And so that's something that I had to completely learn, relearn how I had been treated and how I had worked and learn of if I want to keep these people and I want them to do and say the message that I want, I'm going to have to do more to train the people below me and have that kind of be a tree of people below them. Um, and that's incredibly difficult. I don't even know that I'm that good at it. Um, you know, I'm still struggling with it, learning, uh, growing with it. Um, but, you know, it's something that I think everyone here can say it's important and we have to do as we grow um, and, and, and better utilize our time. Agreed. And there's not eight of you. You can't do everything you want like you once thought you could. So, you know, as you go to this new location, are there tasks that you already have that you know you're going to have to give up to be more successful? And, and if so, what do you plan to give to other people as their responsibilities? I mean, just me, for example, um, you know, I'm still doing a lot of the data analysis on, you know, package uh, allocations, you know, how much is going into kegs, how much is going into cans. Uh, I'm sure the entire group here can tell you the cost of everything is skyrocketing. And so can costs. Um, before, if we had a little bit of overage in cans and we were pouring out of them, not the worst, not the worst thing in the world. But now, with the price that I'm paying for cans, um, you know, we have like three truckloads in our new facility, and I bought them just because, we, like, I don't want to pay twenty plus cents a can. And we started looking at how much that added up. And so, before I'm doing all that, but now I'm training my taproom people to be able to analyze and my brewing production, like production manager to be able to look at cost of goods sold. And that way they're just reporting their findings for me. They're reporting the data that they already made and I'm able to interpretate, interpret that data. Um, and that's hard because not everyone is into 
numbers and statistics and data and and it's 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 hard to to teach people something that they really hate to do, totally. um, but it's it's necessary. <laughs> and one more quick follow up for you, Sean. Have you thought about bringing on a general manager to help oversee both locations to kind of who are the focus in some of that? That is so. That is the goal. So each location will get a you know have a taproom manager, assistant taproom manager, um, and then on top of that, we're going to have a GM that will oversee a lot of these areas. We've even talked about pulling just all of front of house under the GM, you know, even marketing and some of these other areas that, um, you know, I, I don't like I'm overseeing, but I don't have a ton of experience and I'm able to get someone in that can have a little bit more understanding because we don't have a food component. There's not as much of a need for like the restaurant side where I've heard multiple people say they have bar managers, or restaurant managers, and that's something that way over my head so we didn't we haven't even touched that because of it and it's hire people smarter than you that's all it is absolutely that is the name of the game <laughs> awesome john you unmuted yourself is there anything you want to add to this one well no not i was just kind of in and out because my wife just walked in the office and she wanted to say a couple things to me so like how come you're still at work at seven <laughs> well, yeah I mean, the balance is hard so john you know i bring you to that how do you balance running multiple tap rooms, but also your personal life? You know, is that a struggle that you have or you take dedicated time for yourself? You know, obviously hanging out on seven o'clock on a Tuesday. You know, yeah. Day. Well, I don't do this every Tuesday. I mean, this is special for you, Andrew. Right. Uh, here next month. Yeah. Um, I think you have to define some pretty strong boundaries because it, it can, you can get sucked in and it's not only boundaries with stuff like, Hey, you know, I, I can't just sit here and drink beer after work until I can't drink beer anymore. That's one danger, obviously, when you have access to all this beer and your friends and your and your customers and people you've gotten in there are just walking in the door one after another. I mean, if you let yourself, you get trapped and you never get out. You also have the, those same boundaries for work. It's like, look, you know, it's still going to be here tomorrow. I can I can work till 10 p.m. every night if I if I really wanted to and come in tomorrow and still work till 10 p.m. the next night. So at some point, you just have to go home, right? Uh, well, if you're killing it. yourself doing this, then you're not loving your life. Well, right. right. Yeah, that's right. So uh, there's just some boundaries, knowing what to prioritize, understanding that, you know, as you're starting to feel overtaxed, just like I think Sean was saying, you know, it's like, hey, look, this is starting to slip off my plate. Maybe it's time for me to hand this off to somebody else, right? Because I clearly don't have the bandwidth to manage it correctly. So that's usually, you know, one of my key signs. Like when I when I screw up, because I do, uh, and I, I forget to do something or I, I, I miss something, then it's like, okay, one of my responsibilities has to be given away to, to somebody else um, or this isn't going to move forward. I think that's been kind of, I said I spent 15 years in another industry, and that was one of the things I really learned from that and that trying to train people to make yourself replaceable as quickly as you possibly can. And, you know, we've had a real process here in the beginning. We had a couple of managers hoping that somebody would rise and be able to take over as a GM role because I was kind of playing that up front. But, you know, eventually we had to bring in uh, better talent. Um, and, uh, and and make myself replaceable um, and, and have been able to do that in multiple departments now. And as we get into this, I have a couple of more things I'm starting to take off of, um, you know, off of my off of my 
to-do lists on a regular basis. And, you know, we've been blessed. I think Sean kind of hit on it in, in terms of finding talent that's better than you and then let, letting them be aces. Um, um, and, and that's really the only way you're going to grow. If you replicate yourself eight times, use his example, you're never going to be better than what you are. And uh, you have Tunnel to. vision. Yeah, you have to get people who are better. And you also have to be, I mean, I think one of the other key things, especially as a staff grows, um, and I think all of us who are entrepreneurs are a little bit of an alpha, but um, I've had to learn to eat a can of shut the fuck up once in a while. And um, <laughs> you, have, you have to, you have really to be able hard. To, you have to put <laughs> criticism. I mean, this industry is eating, I mean, the hospitality industry is eating bucket of snot upon occasion, but you have to, as a leader, be able to take criticism and actually listen when somebody has I mean, as much as I hate Yelp, you know, I do look at it once in a while because once they had a good comment that was actually productive. So um, but the same thing is with your people. I mean, when you get feedback from your people, um, you know, you, you have you have to take that stuff in and digest it. You can't take it personal. Uh, and I, I just had a conversation with my GM yesterday who was frustrated at criticism that uh, that she had received. And it's like you can't take it personal and, you know giving some other examples why but that and that that's that's the only way you're ever you're ever going to you're ever going to get better and grow and that really is the role and you get into the balancing of home my wife has her own business too so that helps a lot because she understands this a lot more but you know we have to pick and choose when we can get away and and spend that family time but sometimes it isn't going to be every day so um uh, and that's, you know, the nature of, um, you know, the nature of, of having a lot of things that you're responsible for. But the more things that you can get somebody better than you to take over where they can grow, it's opportunity for people. It's um, it, it allows people to feel invested in what we're all doing. I hate saying owner. I like we're all part of the same team. Um, but that is the way that you're going to grow and it's the way you're going to keep yourself sane. And rings i like to completely change it up on you you know as you start your second location very soon you know you have that german feel you know you don't aim to make the haziest of hazies you're making what is it barrel aged kolsch and german sour is that the plan for the new place we're primarily bavarian so vice beer is our big thing that yeah. we're kind of known for so yeah well i can't wait to visit but for both of your locations because you have such a unique feel how do you aim to main that consistency of feel but also have that unique vibe for that local area for your location well, I mean, the, the, the atmosphere that we've been able, and that was part of the culture. I mean, even the people that we are, that are going to the new location, we're bringing them into the current location to kind of get a feel for the culture um, a, a little bit. Uh, and, you know, you want to, you want to spread that, that culture and that atmosphere is part of, um, is part of what makes, you know, makes it a little, a little bit unique. And, it, you know, it's, it's interesting when, uh, when when I did when I opened this and like I said having been around the industry since the 90s and I had a lot of people who would you know no I can't wait for your place to open we're and then they were you know kind of the excuse my excuse me for using the term but beer geek type thing and I'm like you're not going to like what we do and, well, what do you mean you're not going to like what we do I said you know you're not going to like what we do we, we don't we're not going to do the barrel age high high ABV um, uh, high IBU stuff that you stand in line for and trade where that's not what we're going to do. And, um, and, and I say that because I had to come at this from the mentality of we're going to be what we are and you have to accept that not everybody is going to, going to appreciate that. But that's one of the things we're excited about in the, in the new location. As I mentioned earlier, there's five breweries right up and down that street and they're all, and one's a metery, but 
they're all they're all really different in what they focus on. In fact, uh, one is New Holland, which is a former uh, a former landing spot of Hags, uh, but uh, they're one of their locations. But we're all very different in what we do. So I mean, I think it's be pretty cool for people in that neighborhood to be able just to wander around and You've got options. Agreed. Yeah, so John, that. John, how about you? You've got two locations now. Third coming up. You know, if I walk into your tap rooms, and I hope to before too long. Is everyone going to feel like the Cheesecake Factory of Warped Wings, or are there going to be unique components to each that are, you know, individual to each location? What's the feel like, and how do you maintain that, you know, overall consistency, but still unique aspects of each? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I guess there's a couple things in that, a couple ways to take it. One is, what does the physical space feel like, right? And I think, like for Dave, maybe it's like, hey, we're Bavarian in one and we're franconian in the other one i i don't know but uh for us it's been interesting because the first building was an old foundry which is where our production plant is so it very much feels like you're sitting in the production plant when you're there uh so that that has its own vibe um the second one here in springboro which is where i'm sitting at right now in the office uh this one was built to suit and so we were able to do a, a few things here because we controlled the construction of the process. You know, there's a couple of things that we do here, like with overhead doors and so forth, to try to open up the envelope of the building that we do downtown as well. Uh, but it doesn't look like it's the same business per se, right? There's a couple of thematic things, like the way we list the beers on the chalkboard and so on and so forth. And then the third place in Mason, uh, you know, that was an existing business also. Uh, it was originally built as an Irish pub. Uh, and then, you know, that business uh, sold, the owner passed, and so they sold it. And uh, the business that came in after it was like an American-Italian thing. So they did a bunch of stuff. And so we've had to take all that out. And, you know, and so it just, you know, none of the three spaces really are reminiscent of each other. So the, the, the commonality is, you know, the food and the beer, right? But the physical space all feels different. So when you go into any of them, they feel unique to themselves, right? But hopefully the level of service and the quality of the food and the quality of the beer is the same. So people are happy with the results that they get out. No, I love that. Like I said, looking forward to visit. Now, Carrie, I want to mix it up once more. You know, you could probably give a master class on this, but in a nutshell, general final recommendations for brewers considering opening more tap rooms. Master class. You might like be able to. to. You're good. Um, you know, I always say start with the numbers. So I'm biased, but it's what we tried to do. You know, you know, you start with, oh my gosh, that space is perfect. It's so how could we not do this? You know, we can't screw it up. You know, it's so good. People are going to love it. There's, you know, we're, we're, those were kind of like conversations we were having when we were looking at, you know, Gillette Stadium. We're like, oh, you can't screw it up. Millions of people are coming through. And I'm like, no, we, I'm pretty sure we can screw this up. What? Let's make sure we can figure out what our costs are. So basically the starting points are, you kind of put it in two buckets, right? What are your, what are your capital costs going to look like? And that's like, we got to fit up the space. Always costs more, takes longer than you think. Uh, particularly if you're going into a space that isn't and you're going to add, you know, a brewery, um, you know, you, you have lots of infrastructure you need to think about. So what's it going to cost? What's it really going to cost? Really kind of stress test your your upfront cost there. And then there's the operating cost, right? Just do a, a quick pro forma. 
sales margins, operating expenses, bottom line, and then match that up against whatever you're going to need to borrow. So make sure you can pay it back. Because I think we all know, you know, tap rooms are very profitable. There's no question about it. But there are certain things uh, that can kind of get away from you fast. One of which is, you know, if you, you take on a lot of debt, you're going to have to service that debt. Oh, my gosh, that doesn't show up on the income statement. Uh, so you just need to be mindful of those things. Others uh, that can get away, certainly payroll and lease expense. You know, as you go into these high rent districts and you're like, whoa, I'm not used to paying that kind of rent. How's that going to match up to what I've been used to? I've been down in this industrial section paying, you know, six bucks a foot. Now I'm going to pay, you know, 26 bucks a foot. Oh, man, that that adds up really fast. So really stress test your capital cost. What's it going to cost? What are you going to need to buy it? How are you going to pay for it? Make sure you consider the equity component uh, and then do that operating plan as well. Just a quick, quick pro. Well, maybe not a quick, but a minimum a quick pro forma. No, thank you for all that, Carrie. And there's obviously so many aspects we could dive into. And I want to conclude with kind of one split final question. I'd love to either hear a lesson learned. You know, all of you are in different phases of your growth. So either a lesson learned from any point or just something that you would do differently. You know, looking back, John, maybe on your three tapping, is there one thing you would do differently? Or, you know, Carrie, you, you the same. And, you know, Sean, so far, you know, what's been a lesson you've learned that you think could be helpful for someone else, you know, planning to do the same growth? Bankers are morons. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, I think you like your banker, don't you? We do. We do. It Not to say it wasn't tough, though. Uh, there was a lot of uh, changes in uh, regulations with the SBA in the last year. Uh, which was brutal. We It took us 15, 14 months to close. We got our commitment letter 14 months ago. We had to get reapproved five times. Um, very little of that was things that were on our end. Uh, but, you know, I could sit here and, and th throw them under the bus. Jason Sleeman over at UCB, they killed it. Um, they did a great job. It's just the the, you know, Saying what everyone else is saying, uh, it, it takes longer. There are things that are going to be out of your control. And so how do you plan for those? Um, you know, having contingencies, not using your contingencies as like, well, I'm just going to use that as part of construction. No, no, no. You need to have a contingency so that when your change order comes in and you're, you get hit with, you know, whatever comes across your plate, you actually have backup money. You're always going to be able to use that as working capital if you don't end up using it. So don't plan on using it. Um, that's, you know, I would, the, the biggest thing that I could say is be over prepared to the max consultants, talk to breweries. We talked to, I think 23 breweries before we opened up our original location. We talked even more about opening a production facility and opening a second location. There are so many people out there that are willing to give their advice away for free. Um, talk to them, see what bankers they liked and what they didn't like, see what construction companies they liked and didn't like, see what things worked, find comp, uh, you know, comps and everything you do, whether it's a location or size of a brew house uh, and, you know, their output. Um, there's just way too much data out there to go into it half cock going, and eh, I've got this. You don't. And that's okay. That's perfectly fine. You definitely don't. And there are plenty of people out there that have made the mistakes before you and took the bullet before you to be able to learn from their mistakes. No, that's great advice there. Who's ready to step up to the podium next? I'll go real quick. One of the things that we 
pretty pretty good sized mistake that we made was not having one project manager. Um, we kind of all did bits, bits and pieces, but there wasn't really any cohesive. We talked to each other all the time, but man, there was a lot of things. So I would say really one person in charge of the project and that person can then delegate out various tasks. You know, you work on the finance piece, you work on the staffing, et cetera. Um, but really one person to kind of aggregate that, make sure that the trains are running on time, you know, that you're, if you're collaborating with your different uh, contractors that, you know, you've got a schedule and so forth. So, so it could be a general contractor that's outside of your firm, but, or outside of your brewery. Uh, that, that's a mistake that we made. If I had to do it again, would have, we would have done that differently. One person in charge of the whole project. That's a great tip there. Now rings will go to you next and conclude with John, you know, lesson learned so far or any advice to give? I don't know if we had really anything as a in terms of a lesson that was totally unexpected. I mean, there's always little things. And, you know, I think as Sean said, you talk to as many people as you can, you try to prepare, but I mean, any battle plan is good until the first arrow is drawn from the quiver. Uh, you know, you have, and anything you do, you have to be prepared, uh, you know, uh, for things not to go, I mean, go according to oil. Obviously this thing has been set back significantly by things that are out of your control, but we kind of expected that. Um, so, uh, um, you know, communication and, and, and just take as much information, be a good learner as, as often as you can, because, uh, you know, you'll hear, I mean, stuff like this is great because you hear sometimes it's a snippet of a conversation, but you know, something you file away and you go, you know, I gotta, I'm not gonna remember that. That is my philosophy on life. I can talk to all of you and have that <laughs> one little bit that I can either pass to someone else or use to help myself. Then that's been a good day. I love that. Right, right. And like you say, to surround you, I mean, as much as you can surround yourself with good people, I think, uh, you know, we interviewed a, a ton of, I adjusted earlier with the banking thing, and we had a great relationship with our original bank, and they had some management changes and kind of pulled the rug out. We switched banks in this process. So, um, you know, you, you got to, you have to be prepared. And, but we'd always had networked and talked to multiple banks. So we were prepared to make that move if we had to. We didn't want to, but we did. Um, but you know, as they, there was some group think going on during COVID and making, making 20 year decisions based on a six month thing was like, I, it was blowing my mind, but that's what happened. So. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you being here today, John, you know, I'd love to hear what you would do differently. Uh, I don't know what I would do differently necessarily. I'm sure there's a ton of things if I sat down and really thought about it, but the best piece of advice I can give, and I think this goes along with some of the other comments is, you know, be ready to pivot, you know, don't feel married to a particular idea. As an example, you know, when we opened up Springboro, we really thought we would bring the same service model in the Springboro that we run downtown, which is very self-service oriented. You go to the bar to get your own beer, you go to the kitchen and place your food order and go pick it up. And we were going to try to run that same model here and the people in Springboro told us that wasn't going to work. So uh, we had to shift to a more traditional table service model here, which was a complete departure for us. But had we not done that, this would have collapsed on itself. So, uh, you know, it's okay to admit that you're wrong and be willing to pivot, see where the, see where the, you know, the customers are telling you to go and sometimes you gotta, you gotta do it. Right. So that just be ready for that. It's going to happen. 
No, that's great advice there. Just listen and learn. And I appreciate the four of you being willing to share your experiences so far. We could probably have this conversation for three more hours and not repeat anything we've said so far and just give further insight. And maybe we will someday. But I look forward to beers together in the new year. So rings, John, Carrie, and Sean, always a pleasure seeing you all. Go enjoy the rest of your night. Take a little time for you and have a happy holidays and see you eventually. Thanks, Bye, Andrew. Everybody. You're doing. Thanks, Thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys. We are proud to keep CBP 100% free and accessible to all. If you enjoy conversations like this, please hit the subscribe button.